Good morning, listeners. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Med Ethics Podcast. I'm your host, Yesh, uh, and I'm happy to present another medical ethical dilemma for you guys. Um, Neil will not be joining us for this episode, but he will be back in the future. Um, this episode I will do by myself, and I'm still excited to do it for you guys. So as a reminder, all of our cases will be taken for the center from the Center for Practical Bioethics website. Um, they have many resources, um, useful medical ethical dilemmas that you guys can refer to if you would like to. Um, yeah, so all of our cases will be there from uh, for the moment. And today's case is a family divided. It's a case study by Robert L. Potter and the discussion questions are by Rosemary Flanagan. So I will touch on the specifics of the case in the uh, in this episode, but if you would like to, the link to the exact case is also link uh, is also shown in the podcast description. So go starting with the case. It's uh, called a family divided. A 45-year-old man with a three-year history of cardiovascular disease has entered the hospital with a stroke that has paralyzed his right side and caused him to aspirate food of any consistency. Um, just skimming through. His language capacity is only yes and no, and his responses are inconsistent. The attending physician is convinced that the patient has lost decisional capacity, while two family members are equally convinced and three more are ambivalent, including the wife. Um, the prognosis for recovery for safe swallowing and speech is near zero because of dense damage to the cerebral cortex. Also, um, neurological consultants have verified that recovery is likely to be minimal and permanent. Um, also, the patient does not have an advanced directive. The wife claims that this has never been discussed. Um, yeah, so she's convinced that she would not want to want him to live in a disabled condition, but is uncertain whether to request the placement of a feeding tube. Two of her children are against uh, tube placement, uh, while the other two are for it. And then the attending physician and the rest of the treatment team are opposed to placing the feeding tube. Their argument is that the patient is has minimal consciousness and will not improve. The, the situation is fut, futile. And yeah, two nurses also claim that during previous hospitalizations that the patient told them that he would not want to be sustained by artificial means. So that's an interesting fact that needs to be considered. Um, yeah, so the family requests an ethics consultation and that's the case we will be discussing today. Of course, I just skimmed through that, but if you would like to have more information, you can always refer to it while uh, we're discussing it. So we're also gonna look at some of the questions for discussion after outlining some of the broad topics here in play. So the number one, the judgment of futility should be a conclusion of a communications process, not a beginning. How would you propose beginning the communication? Who should be present? What information should be shared? What alternatives are on the table? What is your goal in participating in the discussion? Number two, the family is divided over whether or not their husband slash father sorry, should be placed on a feeding tube. Consider and discuss the following statements. The effectiveness of the feeding tube in a clinical matter. The benefits of the feeding tube for the patients, for the patient depend on the patient's wishes and quality of life, which the patient or the patient's surrogate and family must determine and the burdens the treatment imposes are a consideration for both parties. All right, so 
Also, last question. We're going to skip over a couple here. Number five, we'll go straight to number five. How would this case have been different if the attending physician had been the one asking for a consultation? Okay, perfect. Um, so in the time allotted, we will try to get through as much of this case as we can. So starting off, um, all disclaimers. Um, this is a very complicated situation. The family is the building block of society. It's what keeps you going gives it's what gives you support in hard times such as these it's what gives you joy and all of that so especially in a situation where the family is divided making choices can be very difficult and as stated an ethics consultation is not all that needs to be considered it's also the family's wishes how they would want to see their father slash uh, husband in his final well, not final moments because it never states that he's at the risk of um, risk of death, but it does state that um, uh, chance of recovery is very minimal, and even if he does recover, the damage will be permanent. So it's whether you would want to see him in a very vegetative state where his quality of life is drastically decreased. So an ethics consultation is not always enough because the family has been with him for his entire life so that's also important um, decisional capacity is something we also see that comes up very commonly in these medical ethical cases so this is actually kind of complicated because the physician says the attending physician is convinced that the patient has lost decisional capacity and two of the family and three of the family members sorry three of the family members are ambivalent they're unsure whether he has decisional capacity while two are strongly convinced that he still has it so it's the physician's word uh, versus two family members and then the three other family members are on the sidelines as as to say um i'm not sure here because the family members would um have better knowledge of the patient and his behavior and his mental state so their opinion needs to be taken into consideration, obviously. But the attending physician is the one that has been in situations like this before and has prepared for situations like this and studied situations like this. So I would trust his prognosis better. But since the two family members are convinced the other way, I don't think it's enough to just make a outright decision about what needs to be done. Also, yeah, the neurological consultants are also involved in this. So recovery, we can kind of take that for, uh, we can take their word for granted. The patient does not have an advanced directive. We saw in, we saw this in the previous case, but um, this is different because this does not have an advanced directive. And the wife says they never even discussed the advanced directive. Um, also, okay, so considering all of that, now what we need to do is uh, talk about two placement. So two of the children, two of the four adult children are strongly opposed to two placement um, because no one would want to see their husband slash father in such a state, um, such a physical state. And especially if he's in that much um, physical damage, the two placement would not be um, favorable I guess it would be favorable because it is keeping him alive. That's the argument that the other two children um, um, state. 
They says they would not want to kill their father, but with the chance of recovery so low, would it be would it be optimistic to see that person in such a state? Anyways, we'll get back to that. That's something we need to touch on. And also, finally, the two nurses claim that during previous hospitalizations, the patient told them that is that he would not want to be sustained by artificial means. So, of course, when it comes into these life and death situations, whether you need to decide, you always want to keep the patient alive. But if it's such a low rate of recovery, a low chance of recovery, and even if recur- recovery does happen, the quality of life is so low, it can be up to the patient sometimes whether they want to be sustained by artificial means. And I think this was either episode one or two that we discussed this. I think it was uh, the case of Joe. Also, organ- opposition to organ donation. This is a very common thing that pops up in, in these dilemmas. So um, let's see. Yeah, so the nurses do claim that, but we can't take the nurse's um, word for granted. I'm not saying we can't trust the nurses. We obviously can. They're healthcare workers and they're trying to do the best for the patient. But was the patient in decisional capacity the last time he was talking to the nurses? Did the nurses misinterpret what he was saying? Um, There's just too many variables here that need to be accounted for, that we need to account for before, um, to say crudely, pull the plug. Um, The patient has expressed his preference to not be kept alive in a futile situation. All right. So let's let's get through the questions. So the judgment should uh, futility should be a conclusion of a communications process. So who should be present? It's actually a difficult question because when think about who should be present, you sh- you could rush to the conclusion that everyone should be present, like all the family members, all the consultants, all the ethical uh, ethicists, and the nurses who heard him say that, or he was speaking directly to those nurses but i think if you include everyone and everyone's input it would be extremely hard to make a decision especially with the heavy emotional state of the situation i think the wife should be um i obviously don't want to say someone's opinion doesn't matter because if it's a family member everyone's opinion matters it's just if there's that many clashing opinions, it might be hard to uh, reach a final conclusion or a plan of action. So I think the wife should be the um, representative, as to say, of the family. She should take all the um, all the children's opinions into account, and she should be the representative from the family. And then obviously there's going to be the ethicists and there's going to be the nurses and there's going to be the attending physician who is making these diagnoses about decisional capacity and consciousness and recovery rates. So I think all of that is good and well. Um, So who should be present? What information should be shared? Yeah. So talking about information, the hospital setting is uh, a place where the sharing, um, the open sharing of information is critical. Um, Obviously, there's confidentiality in some uh, areas about personal information, but as long as it's with a family member and his uh, his state when it comes to making decisions about his well-being, I think all the uh, 
all the information about directives and um, recovery rates and uh, options, all of that should be shared. One second while I take a quick sip of water. Back to the case. Um, so yeah, I think in, I think the ethicists, ethicists and the healthcare workers should be completely transparent with the family about the information about the patient and his um, situation right now. So what alternatives are on the table? So one alternative, as we discussed in the case itself, is the tube feeding and to sustain his life um, artificially. So two of the children's are two of the children, excuse me, are strongly opposed to this. They don't want to see their father in such a state. Um, and the other two children are strong advocates for tube feeding because they think it's their only chance to keep um, their father alive, which are both noble, both noble um, incentives and purposes. And what they're fighting for, uh, all of them, what all of them are fighting for is very, it's very um, noble and it should be discussed. There's not really a, a wrong thing here as to say, because all sides of the story, they're trying to do the best for their father. So yeah, that's why it's not easy to make decisions like this sometimes because there's not one side that's clearly wrong. Both sides are doing what they think is right. And it's kind of hard to be an ethicist in this decision and tell one group, one party that they're right and the other party not, not to say they're wrong, but their decision is um, less beneficial overall, I guess. And what is your goal in participating in the discussion? So my goal in participating in the discussion would be to take everyone's uh, feelings and beliefs into account and then use all of that to make a not a decision for them, but to show them the ethicality behind each of the alternatives that are present, right? So the other alternative is to obviously um, give the father a give the father respect in his final moments. It is it according to the nurses, it was his directive that he does not want to be sustained by artificial means. Therefore, we do have to respect his decision if if what he said there was true and he was in decisional capacity then I think it's better if that was true to let him pass away in his own, on his own account, on his own wishes in a peaceful manner, rather than tube feeding and ventilators and renal dialysis that are stated. So the effectiveness of the tube feed, uh, feeding tube in a clinical matter that we can talk about. Honestly, the tube feeding it is pretty invasive, and I can see why any family member would not want to see another one of their family members undergo that. But in cases like this, the alternative is death. So that is obviously something that needs to be considered. Um, yeah, so quality of life. Uh, tube, uh, undergoing tube feeding, the quality of life is drastically reduced. Um, also, that needs to be added on to the already reduced decisional capacity of the patient to just yes and no's. And a lot of times the decisional capacity of a patient, not, not decisional capacity, sorry, quality of life of a patient is his or her ability to have meaningful experiences 
also to just not be in suffering baseline i guess and since i don't know the entire medical state of the patient i'm not sure how much pain he's in but when it comes to um quality of life with just yes or no's it's hard to imagine that he's having meaningful experiences with his family especially with such severe damage to his cerebral cortex so his quality of life is gradually determined and the burdens of the treatment imposes on both parties so if it truly was his belief to not be sustained artificially the burden of a feeding tube on the patient will be very great he doesn't whether it be his beliefs um, maybe his religious beliefs or personal ones if he does not want to be sustained artificially and if his family believes he does not have decisional capacity it would be very painful for him to to see him hooked up to a feeding tube system when he clearly wishes not to and it must be also very hard for the family to see that but the, the consideration for both parties if there's not a tube feeding system is the death of the patient which might actually be um, what the patient desires so i'm not saying that's a positive thing but if that's what he wishes and the consideration on the family for not providing the tube feeding system is the death of a loved one and that's very painful so yeah i think we talked about a lot and i'm finally ready to make the utilitarian calculations for this um, it's obviously hard to consider everything but I just want to go through the two alternatives. So tube feeding and no tube feeding. So if we do no tube feeding, correct? If we do no tube feeding, some of the family members will feel pain. The ones that are against tube feeding that don't want to see their father like that, they will be in pain, correct? And that is one negative. Another negative is if the father was truly believing um, if the father truly said that he did not want to be sustained artificially, then placing him on tubes against his wishes in his final moments, that will be very painful. And also for the wife, this is all on the wife because she's the one that has to make this decision, right? And then finally, this is a minor one, but um, we need to consider the use of resources on this patient. Um, the tube feeding systems are very expensive and limited especially in rural areas so if this is not against if this is against someone's wishes the tube feeding system could be used for another patient who desperately needs it also so obviously i don't want to uh, reduce patients down to numbers or resources but when we do the final utilitarian calculations that is something that goes into account um, another thing, oh, not another thing. We're going on to the other alternative, which is to place the patient under the tube feeding system. So if we place the patient under the tube feeding system, um, wait, sorry. We do not place the uh, patient under the tube feeding system. Um, his quality of life will be much better, even though he will not be able to sustain it for long. He will not have to be placed under that burden of the tube feeding system but his family members and the wife and everyone will have to see him to see his death so that is also very painful but if that's what he wishes i think that is actually a positive in this situation 
not for the death in general, but for him, his inner peace and his satisfaction. I think that's something that needs to be considered because at the end of the day, he is the patient. Um, especially when, even if he is placed on the tube feeding system, his disability is so severe that recovery is such a low, such a low percentage. So I think I'm ready to make my decision. I would say that he should not be placed under the tube feeding system just according to his wishes that he spoke to the nurses and the quality of life that will be drastically reduced if he is placed on the tube feeding system and the pain that some of his children will have to endure to see him like that. Um, once again, thank you for joining me on this case. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. I sure did. And yeah, I hope to be back for many more episodes. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to stay ethical.